The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my awesome co-hosts... Laura Nash. And your twin brother, Shane Kelly. Not mine, but Reagan's. <laughs> my twin brother and yours. Laura's twin brother, Shane Kelly. Everyone's twin, Shane's Kelly. Yes, <laughs> the internet's twin. <laughs> Actually, that sounds kind of threatening or, 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 or unsettling, doesn't it? The internet's twin. It sounds very Kentucky Route Zero. <laughs> it does, yes. This week we are talking about Act 4 of Kentucky Route Zero. Uh, so if you listened last week, we were intending to cover Act 4 as part of that massive episode, but we had so much to say about Act 3 that we split this one off. This one will probably be a little shorter than that one, since I don't know if I have quite as much to say about Act 4 as I did about Act 3, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't pretty darn interesting. So uh, we can go ahead and pretty much get right into it with the, with the brief addenda that, uh, like I said last time, uh, we are pretty much in full-on spoiler territory here. So uh, if you, for whatever reason, have skipped into this episode uh, and are have not played Act 4 of Kentucky Route Zero, prepare for full-on spoilers about that act. We're just going to be getting into it and talking about individual plot beats and details. If this is your first episode of the short game, no, just no, turn back. <laughs> that you're doing something horribly wrong. <laughs> Scroll back like three or four and pick one of those. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're sorry, but thank you for listening. Come back another day. <laughs> Indeed. So uh, act four, let's let's ref- refresh our memories about where we where we left off at the end of act three. You know, act three uh, had, uh, we had just left the distillery and some really unsettling things had taken place there, but their consequences were not fully realized yet at the time. So... Uh, Conway, our sort of player avatar, essentially, in the game, uh, has just signed his soul away, in a sense. Uh, He's now uh, under contract to the distillery, to Hard Times Liquor. Um, And he doesn't seem all that bothered by it, uh, but it's clear that something about this contract is going to come due. It's uh, It's now clear that he's going to have to start working for them Tomorrow, that's the idea. And did we, at the very end of the last episode, have the final image of uh, the mucky mammoth? Did Was that discussed or did we kind of sweep that aside? Yeah, very we briefly. Well, that is our final image. So go ahead and, and uh, describe the, the mucky mammoth for us. As our kind of discussion of the indentured servitude that Conway has kind of entered into um, is, is wrapping up, they're all together waiting for the ferry. Uh, which slowly rolls up, and in true magical realist style, uh, the ferry is a very strange-looking boat. Uh, Imagine a normal-looking ferry, uh, but sitting on the prow of the ship is kind of cross-legged, not really seeming to fit, uh, is a gigantic woolly mammoth. Yeah. End. Yeah, that was it. And I did not not know... um, at the time, uh, at the end of that act, but at the start of act uh, four, it's pretty much immediately revealed that that mammoth is not a another passenger 
on the ship. It is, in fact, the ship or a part of the ship. Um, the Mucky Mammoth is the name of the ferry. And the ferry um, has, as a part of its construction, a large mechanical mammoth. And it's pretty clear right away that the mechanical mammoth is integral to the operation of the ship uh, because the boat seems to kind of break down. And in the very first scene, um, we see new character Will, uh, one of the uh, captains or, or, or mechanics of the Mucky Mammoth, um, working on, uh, you know, he has a, 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 a panel open in the side of the Mammoth and he's gotten to work trying to repair it, which is a surprising image. And yeah, so the, the ship is super weird looking. And uh, I mean, actually, I don't know. Is it like that's the thing about magical realism? Like it, it's odd that this ship has a giant mechanical mammoth on it. But like it's not like it's 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 very it's very normal weird in the same way that everything is in Kentucky Route Zero. There was probably a huge delay before this chapter was released and it. Seeing the Mucky Mammoth in silhouette at the end of chapter three felt like a promise that the next episode is going to come out. And it also felt very much like when Julie and the giant bird showed up, like a silhouetted mm. thing that's going to happen soon. And I loved that, you know, it also felt like the horse from Equus Oils. Mm. Um, it, it felt like this really cool image that was going to take you forward, like maybe get reused. And I don't know, like there's something about, uh, I always think of like, bowsprits those the like the women oh yes the, the yes things yes. that I know stick out on the about. front of boats that yeah. often have like women on it or something like this on a ferry felt very much like one of those but i, I love but it the, takes up like half was, of the boat <laughs> and, and it's got like it's sitting like it's got cross like it's not like a formidable mammoth like, it's like it looks like it's just had to squish down a little bit to fit you know it, yeah. it doesn't have enough room um, and also, I think Shane mentioned that it was on the front, but I actually think it's, I mean, maybe I'm misreading the, the the profile of the boat, but I think it's sitting in the back. Like, it, this is the kind of ferry that you could see carrying cars or something like that, but the whole area that would be basically the back deck is taken up by this massive uh, this massive mammoth. Something about that that I think is kind of, the, the mammoth being mechanical is I think it's a bit of a... Uh, 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 it was a bit of a misdirect. Like there's no indication at the end of act three that the mammoth isn't alive. And then, you know, it's, it's sort of like, haha, you waited two years and turns out the, the mammoth is a robot is almost a little bit of like a, like a slightly funny misdirect. I, I think, I think it's also kind of funny that like, you know, those, those people who were kind of waiting around for this next act for a very long time, um, were left with the question, what's going on with this mammoth? And as we um, as we as we begin, um, our our main character on the boat, or I guess our introductory character to the boat, Will, is literally sitting there, book in hand, trying to answer the question: Hey, what's going on with this mammoth? That's true. <laughs> I, I mean, I wonder if you guys have any interpretation of the mammoth. It's it's one of the most interesting visuals of the uh, of the act, and it sticks with us through the entire act. But I don't know, like. Not that everything in this in this uh, necessarily is like this means X or Y, but like, what is a broken mammoth to you guys? It is something extinct that has come back to life, and then not. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of this like, I don't know. It being a mammoth feels like something that is supposed to be dead. 
and it's not. Yeah, but it's not kind entirely. of broken. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if I if I can kind of put a, a, a theme to a lot of this um, this act, it has to do with memory and the past, and I think the mammoth being like something. It's literally an elephant in the room, uh, and it's literally. Uh, an extinct thing from the past. Mm-hmm. So I, I think maybe maybe there's something there. That's true. I think this this episode more than the last one is is about like uh, looking back on. I mean, it still carries through some of the themes from the previous episode. Themes like debt uh, are still pretty foreground, but uh, it's much more looking back at the ways that that has always been with us. Looking back into the past of these characters and the past of this place. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like this sort of this this episode, even though we're kind of approaching the end, it's sort of like reaching back into the past to kind of draw that that through line. Yeah, that that's the one thing that for me came up over and over again in this in this act is uh, memory and forgetting. And you know, can you forget something intentionally? You know what what is the what is the cause of forgetting? Mm. So that will, when we'll do memories crop up? Yeah, it, it, it keeps coming back and back. And I think there's a bit of nostalgia, but it's not mm. sweet. Um, it's that like pain of the old wound Mad Men style nostalgia where it kind of sticks a bit. Yeah. So there's a couple of things we should talk about at the, t- at the top. Um, this is a different structure than any of the previous acts. So unlike the other acts, this one takes the form of sort of a journey. It feels like things are really starting to propel forward and that we're really moving towards whatever the ultimate conclusion is going to be for these characters uh, in a very physical way. We are on the path. We're traveling down the Echo. The Echo is a submerged underground river through the caverns of Kentucky. So not only is there a underground highway, we're off the highway. We're now on the underground river, the Echo. Um, and it's a it's a bit of a travel story uh, in an interesting way, and it's also branching much more significantly, uh, many more like optional missable you know scenes than we've seen in most of the previous game. So about that first part about it being a travel story, something that struck me about this was that so it's kind of impossible to look back and say exactly what something's references or inspirations were. But I think it's sort of interesting that this game, this chapter came out about two years after the release of 80 days, Uh, 80 days came out around the time when uh, chapter or sorry, when act three came out Um, and something about, I really, I really see a little bit of of an influence there, even though it's not the same kind of thing exactly. um, I think they it definitely has some of the same feeling of like travel from place to place and having these sort of uh, little moments that crop up while you're on the road as text uh, and interspersed with more fully realized scenes that happen when you reach various destinations along your path. Um, it, it felt a little bit 80 days to me and I really kind of liked that about it. Although it definitely also meant that I, there was a lot more material in this that just like with 80 days, you could play that dozens of times and not see all of the material here at, the, at, at least I think four points in the, in the act, there are options to choose between two different scenes to see basically. So I think all three of us are going to have seen different material in this. Absolutely. This felt like the most branching part of the narrative and in the most explicitly branching 
it reminded me a little bit of the Night in the Woods forking where you choose which friend you want to go hang out with and you know you're consciously missing it. This is the one of the first times when whole scenes, like a lot of the, I wouldn't say a complaint, but earlier episodes we talked about you might not realize you opted out of a character, a scene, an entire moment because you just bypassed it. This one, you knew what you were missing each yeah, time. that's true. Or more or less, you knew that you were missing something that you had, something. You had two choices to make yep. and each of them would be a different scene that you'd see play out. Correct. Mostly your choices between getting off the boat and staying on the boat. Speaking of getting on the boat and staying on the boat, uh, did you guys play uh, Here Along the Echo, oh, the little interlude yes, before this? Yes, So Here and There Along the Echo, the, the interlude that came between Acts 3 and 4. Do you know the crazy, weird story behind this? Not, I, I guess not. Oh, okay. So Here and There Among the Echo is a game where you just call a phone number and play with the... It's like a phone tree, basically, yeah. Right, where it's the tourism hotline and they tell you things about all the places you're going to stop and see and and maybe some things you won't. But what they did in real life is they put on eBay a phone called the Weird Telephone and they said, um, I learned about this at the Victorian Albert Exhibition. I'll stop name dropping it, but it's helpful. (laughs) It's relevant. Um, It's relevant. So the phone gets sold on eBay and they say that it's a collector that collects telephones in Kentucky that sold her collection after her husband's death. And the phone only worked, it only would dial one number and it would play here and there along the echo. Huh. And so they basically programmed a telephone to just play this game on it. And the they had it in the museum and you could dial, they, they sent a postcard with it that said here and there along the echo, a guide to the echo river and had the phone number on it. So you could call this, like if you didn't have the weird phone, you could then call the number. Um, But the weird thing about the weird phone is it also would ring um, Uh. and give you a weird message at the end, which is what happens if you sit there for a couple of minutes, apparently at the end of the interlude, it'll call you and play the message that would happen on the weird phone if you left it alone. It's just bizarre that they made a like of all the things they had Made to this do a physical thing. to get this game going, they just took a detour and made a phone. Yeah, that's <laughs> that pretty they wild. Sold on eBay for like I do who knows. Um it's just a very interesting weird thing that they did. I really I really actually enjoyed this uh this particular interlude. Um I will say maybe not the strongest of the interludes. I think hardly anything holds up to the entertainment, which I thought was absolutely stellar. But here and there along the echo, um, was it was neat to play this before playing the game because, first of all, it adds some additional weight to a lot of the scenes that you come across. For example, you can listen in to the, uh, the telephone hotline explaining to you the significance of the iron pariah, the, the you know, the essentially like derelict civil war steamship uh, randomly circling the echo uh, home to a huge colony of cats. Right. Um, But you know, in the game, you pretty much just see that drift past you at one point. Um, And I wouldn't have had the context for it. Not that necessarily the context really helps you make actual sense of it. It's still pretty surreal, but uh, Having listened to that in advance made me more excited about that moment in the uh, in the I mean, game. I mostly used it to get advice on 
what to do if you're holding a snake. Yes, that was the best part. Oh my God. Uh, just choose that option, <laughs> players, if you haven't done it. Just just hold that snake and, and tell Delilah some whisper some sweet yes. <laughs> things oh into my. Delilah's. <laughs> oh my goodness. I really, really, really Beautiful enjoyed that. Face. So um, I continue to kind of mostly skip these interludes but this one I did play around with, but I did not choose the snake option. Sorry, what is this wonderful snake option? So you can, like, it, it's like, do you want to hear about historical things? Who do, and it's like, press four if you're holding a snake. And then you it asks <laughs> you, like, what the snake is doing. And then, like... Yeah, it, it's actually, it, it's actually it's probably the... It, it's one of the deeper parts of this in terms of just mul- the amount of choices that it gives you in There's the layers. There's a lot of choices. There's a lot of detail to its instructions about holding the snake. So, you know, if you're holding a snake right now, press seven or whatever, and you do that, and, it's, and it asks you things like, um, you know, if it... Uh, uh, if you don't remember picking up the snake, press one. If you're holding it for religious reasons, press two, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And then you get a really extended uh, walkthrough, very calm voiced walkthrough of how to handle holding this snake, um, including many branching options about what the snake is doing, or I think if you want to name the snake, that sort of thing. If the snake has fallen asleep, how can you gently wake it up so that it feels good about itself? Um so many options. Yes. Like what what Wonderful. part of your body are you holding the snake? Is it in your hand? Is it wrapped around your forearm? Um, ju- That's tremendous. It, it goes on for quite a while. And I, I very much just, I think I was supposed to be like looking up the tour guide options, but I played the snake and was like, I think I'm, I'm good. <laughs> it, yeah. So I recommend, I snake. recommend this act. I will say um, that there is a lot of spoken word material in this. And um, I, I did my sort of standard way of doing these sorts of things was I very methodically went through every single phone option that I could. And I don't necessarily feel like that was a truly good use of my time. Uh, Some of the stuff was a little bit uh, either repetitive or kind of covered in the act that was to follow it. Uh, But it's still definitely worth going through it at the very least because of the snake stuff. So recommend that. And um, once you get into the actual meat of the uh, of the episode, most of the points of interest that are described by the telephone line are part of the act. Um, you see almost all of them. So that's definitely interesting. So it was a good and comprehensive guide. It was indeed a very good and comprehensive guide. So obviously we start on the on the um, on the boat, and I think Junebug and Will have a, a conversation. And uh, they're hanging out on on the boat. There's some new characters here. I will say that the new characters in this act didn't make much of an impression on me. Uh, Will is the mucky mammoth's um, uh, handyman slash engineer, I suppose. Um, and then there's, I think, Kate, who drives the boat. And they have a dog whose name is escaping me uh, because it isn't blue. Starts with a V. Is it just V? <laughs> I th- it's something like, um, uh, oh, Valkyrie. Yes, that's it. Valkyrie, yeah. yes. Um, but, uh, you know, we are introduced to the mucky mammoth where we're going to be spending a significant amount of time in this act. Uh, we're told that there's, uh, that, you know, we're, we're free to use any of the, the mammoth's, uh, amenities, which includes a VCR room, like a, like a videotape room where you can go and watch some videotapes yes. at various points throughout the, uh, the act. Um, and, uh, everybody settles in a little bit. Conway, uh, goes and grabs a beer and uh, that is significant because we have learned that Conway is a former uh, or current alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic. 
Um, and we also see him beginning to continue his deterioration. He's now uh, starting to turn more skeletal, more into one of the boys from the distillery. I think his arm is going. Poor yeah, Conway. that continues to extremely creepy. It's yeah. very creepy. So this is where we get our first choice. We start floating down the river, and uh, we have a choice between uh, staying on the boat or going to the gas station. Uh, so did anybody stay on the boat for this? Because I went to the gas station. I stayed on the boat. Gas station. Yes, me too. So Shane, can you talk about the boat or the staying on the boat portion here? So I picked pretty much every time as we get the choice to either stay on the boat or get off the boat. Um, I mainly just chose to stay on the boat because... Uh, you know, I, I kind of felt like we got a we got a delivery to make. Let's let's not go too crazy exploring this underground river. And so, when you pick in this first scene to stay on the boat, you have uh, what's the kid's name? Ezra. Yes, Ezra. Uh, I, de- I I still I still don't get Ezra that much. Uh, but Ezra, you know, weird child that he is, is just sort of exploring around on the boat. And you kind of are introduced further to the other characters, the new characters on the boat, who, like I've said, didn't make a huge impression. There's Kate, who is on there, and uh, I think she is the captain. And she's explaining to Ezra how they navigate on uh, the Echo. And so the interesting thing about the Echo is that everything is shifting and changing all the time. Uh, So they have, every time they navigate the Echo, they're, recopying their maps. And so they have an enormous pile uh, of these different maps that they've made as they've made the route with their uh, their ferry, which they're doing, it seems like, all the time. They're kind of passing different landmarks and finding that, oh, well, maybe the order that we pass these different landmarks has changed. Our compasses don't work down here. So, you know, we we have to go by, by landmarks and we can't even trust those. Um, and so this is, I think, again, kind of the idea of uh, memory uh, and kind of the unreliability of it mm-hmm. coming up. Ezra uh, gets to pick uh, one, basically uh, is offered to choose one of the maps to take. And, uh, you know, you're basically offered uh, some of the old maps as she starts drawing a new fresh map. I think that's about all that happens in that scene. Um, as you get Everyone gets back on the boat. Uh, then we start having a scene uh, with Shannon getting ready to stick around and choose to start dealing with tapes, which I think are another metaphor uh, for memory. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm interested to hear about the tapes because I didn't, I didn't really get to do anything with the with the VHS tapes. Um, the the gas station was a a fun scene. Um, I'm not so sure about what it says. I mean, this is the first, their first stop on their trip. They stop at a gas station that obviously, you know, they stop there all the time, but it's in a different place every time they go there. And uh, Junebug Junebug and Johnny get off and and sort of go into the gas station and strike up a conversation with the the clerk there. Um, And she's a pretty interesting character. Uh, She just sort of I don't know. She just sort of, she struck me as one of the like normal people living in a surreal world. Just something about her was, was like kind of funny in that way. Um, but she, uh, she offers to sell you some crystals, which I bought the crystal because of course. And the crystal ends up being, it's actually a plastic bag. Oh, right. (laughs) The crystal is like a weird malformed plastic bag that she's selling as a crystal. And I was like, I love the hustle. Yeah. Um, Uh, appreciate it. 
let's see what else happened while we were in the gas station. It was it was so not- what it's existential crisis about Junebug and Johnny's relationship oh, and if they should have a third, um, which sounds a lot dirtier than it actually is. It's much sweeter than that. They're like, you know, do we want to uh, can we put the dog in our sidecar? Maybe we should put maybe we should do something with Ezra. Like Johnny's clearly thinking about like. Adding a third person, Johnny or wants animal kids. or pet. They're, they're robots. Johnny, but Johnny wants, a baby, wants a baby, and um, bug is uncertain. And they keep going in and talking to the gas station attendant instead of dealing with their relationship problem. Uh, but at the end, you can choose to have them deal with it, and it's sweet. Yeah, I, I loved the uh, the guy that wanders in who's looking for uh, somebody he was supposed to meet there from a dating website. That guy was super sweet. Yeah, he wants uh, help editing his uh, online profile. I There's nothing, I mean, some people might feel, feel differently, but I think there is nothing sweeter in the world than an elderly person trying to put together a dating profile. Didn't you used to help people at the app uh, at the Apple Store? I did. I was actually just about to mention one of the one of the most memorable things that I ever did there was there was this there was this older lady. Uh, she was this she she was the absolute image of like uh like an elderly New York uh semi-retired volunteering person you know like um lady who uh wears a nice fur coat and goes around town doing stuff because she's got lots of friends but no family and uh, or at least no family that I noticed uh who knows actually I only see the tiny slice of people's lives that you see when they come into an apple store but she would come in all the time uh for classes and she would come in to ask uh, uh, the biggest thing that she was doing when I was helping her and she was coming in at least once a week was she was asking for help putting a profile up on JDate. If you're not familiar with JDate, it's a, it's a Jewish exclusive dating website. Um, and just the, the saddest, but also sweetest moment was that she, she, she was, she came in for a, uh, for a class and she was really upset because she was sure that something wasn't working right because she had sent a message to this nice Jewish man and he hadn't responded. And she was sure that she just hadn't sent the message right. And she was asking me for help to make sure that she had sent the message right to this man. And of course she had. Who ghosted her. Yeah. Oh no. And I just, it was just the, 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 I was just, Oh, Joan, I'm so sorry, (laughs) but I think he did get your message. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Oh, well, Anyway, that's the kind of thing that like that goes straight to my heart for whatever reason. And uh, so I loved this character. I know some people would look at him differently or or maybe even look at Joan differently. But I uh, anyway, it was a moment. Uh, there also was a very nice moment that's like theme of the week forgetting uh, where the woman who works behind the counter apparently has a forgettable face that no one remembers. Mm, right. Um and she says that she used to live in a city, a I mean a real city, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, <laughs> the big city for folks who live in. And Kentucky. she, yeah, she said that there's like a dignity in being forgotten, that she could walk along the crowd and feel like part of it um, versus Junebug, who, because she's like a robot with punk hair, like never blends in. Yeah. So I, it was like, again, I, I feel like all of these scenes are going to be unnecessary to the plot, but they're just little bits of character. This very much was a Junebug 
Johnny scene. Yeah, you know, this is a this is more of an ensemble act than the previous ones. You know, the game has already been playing with the idea that like Conway, who's our clear sort of point of view character for the first couple of acts by act three, it's starting to play with that a lot more. And um, by act four, it's funny, it feels like Conway almost isn't a player character anymore. And I think that, that well, the second he took that drink, exactly. I think he's, he's gone. Yeah. Like he's, and we sort of feel gone. him drifting away through the entire contest of this act. I don't think we play as Conway at all in this act. And, and, or maybe we do, but I don't, don't remember doing so. And for the most part, we're playing as Shannon or Junebug and Johnny, uh, maybe a little bit with and Ezra. And if you stay on the boat, you don't see anything of him. Yeah. Yeah. Really. And yeah. so it, it has the, the whole act has this sort of feeling that he's drifting away, which obviously we'll, we'll talk more about towards the end because it's that, that is the story of this act is, is sort of losing Conway. Um, so that's mostly most of the story of the gas station act. I'm not really sure if I have anything grand to say about that portion of the game, but it was full of, I thought good, good writing and good character moments. And then we're off on the boat again. Um, and our, uh, our next big choice is between a scene in which Shannon stays aboard and repairs the VCR or going to the rum colony. So I think you both can guess which one I did when a game gives me the opportunity to go to a tiki bar, I up and go to that tiki bar, uh, even though I really wanted to see those VCR tapes. I had to check in some videotapes. Oh yeah. We both went for videos. I mean, I, I, I was worried I was going to miss a musical performance in the Rome Colony, but like I really wanted to see those tapes. Um, and not only were there tapes, uh, which we'll get to, but I, I want to give a shout out to the fact that there were little hermit crabs walking around. The cat was there and Blue was there. So you're just hanging out near animals watching all of the tapes. And there are choices for bird tapes and a Tape labeled more birds. <laughs> uh, that rules. And there's plot stuff in this one. Yeah, tell me, tell uh, me what I missed. You want to get into that, Shane? Yeah. Um, so if you stay on board, uh, basically what you're choosing is to have Shannon take a look at their VCR. the The problem with the VCR was that it would randomly record over things. Uh, there, there, she's basically Kate explains this to Shannon. She says that it it could only i think i might have this a little off but i think she says that it could only it could only play back tapes that it had recorded and if you let the tape get all the way through to the end it would just it would just re-record over it or it would uh no hold on when you rewound it would start recording something else that's right it would something, just record like whatever that. was on community airlays if you around the tape. <laughs> exactly. And so what she was saying was she would leave all her tapes. You can never look back. Yeah. She would leave all her tapes uh, at the end. So because if she wanted to watch them again, she would uh, she would have to wind them back herself and, and play hand, them. So with a pencil. Yeah. Hand. So um, there are a lot of tapes that have bef- that where the the one channel that they can get WEVP has just accidentally been taped over whatever was actually on the tape. But by the way, I just want to I just want to stop for a moment and say that that is the best call sign I've ever heard for this context because you guys know what EVP is, right? Electronic voice executive. phenomenon. Oh, I was like executive vice president. No, well, yeah. <laughs> Guess which one worked in consulting? Yes, and uh, so uh, EVP is a is a ghost hunting term term for when you when you record silence on a tape. 
And uh, then you play it back later and you hear the sound of ghosts, presumably, or whatever on that tape. Oh, that's good. Uh, so I love WEVP. Also, I've I've played the, we won't be talking about it today, but I've played the next interlude, which takes place at WEVP. And there's actually a tape of, I mean, if, I didn't realize the supernatural thing going on there, but there is a tape of Will when he was younger taking, I think he's doing like some kind of uh, public access thing on WEVP and taking calls about supernatural stories. Called I Believe You. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know I checked the tapes uh, about birds, which- uh, Hi, Mark. The, 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 <laughs> Hi, Mark. I know, Rickon. Um, I, I really love this. Uh, I actually screenshot this one, hang on. Uh, birds from a Great Distance, I also screenshotted this one. <laughs> yes. Blue black morning swings across the screen. The bird watcher tramps through the dewy grass. He stops with a wet grunt and rests the camera on a pile of rocks. Birds from Great Distances, episode 12, <laughs> appears briefly on screen. He twists the lens by hand, pushing the frame past the trees onto the road, and coming to a halt, zoomed in on a fuzzy, fist-sized artifact resting on the momentary stroke of a telephone wire. <laughs> <laughs> and, so. and then I, I screenshot the end of this because I liked it just much. A couple paragraphs later, it says, as the sky lightens, the black smudge in the center of the frame gradually becomes more prominent, but never in any greater detail. <laughs> Birds from Great Distances, episode 12. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what about that is so funny, but that's very good. <laughs> it's just that it's the crappiest possible thing you could ever televise. <laughs> there are people sitting in chairs reading eulogies and trying to figure out if they maybe know the person. That's also a <laughs> That's also an very, very good. And a, an, one called like an art piece that's just slowly zooming in on a scene and eventually it just focuses on a fan and stops. <laughs> <laughs> have you... Um... Have you guys ever uh, seen much of or been involved in community uh, television? I, I feel like that's a really lost uh, cultural artifact that I, I feel we're really missing in the age of, you know, YouTube and everything else that has replaced it. Well, our high school friend uh, Matt Hickey um, got me a little bit involved with uh, the cable public access in Houston very, very briefly. I think I went there twice just to check out what was going on. Uh, but I, I have some very vivid memories of some very, very strange things appearing on public access late at night mm. that I will not I will not describe on this podcast because they were weird and disturbing. That's the best kind of capable public access. So the the tape that I think you're meant to find to advance the story and uh, the one you'll probably I, it may be possible to skip it, but it has the intriguing label. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah. <laughs> yes. How can you label a tape with three question marks and not have the, the player click on it? So when you load this tape up, uh, you see Weaver in a dingy room with lockers and desks and there's a uh, caption that says mail school and these magnificent tragic horses go underground as deep as you can go the air is cool and the earth is damp and when you close your eyes you're surrounded by the dead remember where that is you'll find your way from there i think the place you're looking for is there some of it will wash away soon but i think you'll be happy here even without the male school, and then it repeats. Um, weird. What's going on with Weaver? Yep. 
what's going on with Weaver? Uh, that is the Weaver tape that you mentioned because you say like you, you've seen her show up and give her a message across the TV. That happened in Act One, but this is the first time yeah. she just takes a random tape off the shelf and Weaver is in it looping. Yeah, Weaver like speaks to us through tapes and through through video. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what to make of it. Maybe we'll figure out more about Weaver as we go. Probably yeah, they, not. You tell we hear more about Weaver in later in this act. Um, I I got to hear more about Weaver. Not sure if that's because I watched this section, but um, this is very mysterious. And she actually goes upstairs to talk about it. And uh, Will and Kate are talking about like, hey, the mammoth used to make music. Can we make the mammoth play music again? Uh, and then they, she asks, you know, Will, do you remember the public assets channel? He has no memory of doing the show. And the, she asks about like, mm-hmm. hey, what's with this weird Weaver tape? And they're like, oh, yeah, we just tape yeah. stuff off the TV. Oh, um, yeah. Me- failing memories again. They can't remember the tune that the mammoth used to play. Mm. I love that. The like visual metaphor of like rewinding a tape uh, erasing it because it it kind of brings to mind this whole idea that like every time you remember something you're actually sort of rewriting the memory in your head. That's the way that mm-hmm. memory works. That you're you know you're never really able to recall the same thing twice. You're always sort of reconstructing, remembering a memory. The most pristine memory is the ones you never access. Yeah, and yes. I think that's really sort of interesting. Um, the the and in some ways, I was kind of really wanted to do this scene because the whole idea of there being like a bunch of videotapes in the, you know, in the belly of this ship seemed really intriguing to me. But, uh, you know, the tiki bar beckoned. So I had to go that way. Um, it, this was probably the toughest choice I made in the game because like this was like the two sides of my personality. Old go fix old tech or go to a tiki bar. Reagan can't decide. But um, <laughs> oh, poor boy. Poor Reagan. Yeah, but I did. I did go to the Rum Colony, and uh, by the way, good name for a tiki bar. I think uh, you know it, uh, it speaks to the problematic <laughs> nature of tiki in and of itself, uh, and the problematic past of rum as a beverage. But uh, also, it's it was a it was a cool thing to see on in this you know buried river. This little dark, poorly lit you know um, dim beach. Uh, with a bunch of little tables and umbrellas, and there's a bar here. And so um, Junebug and Johnny are there to see a friend of theirs, uh, Cyrano, who plays steel uh, lap steel guitar. And uh, there is another musical performance here. Uh, it's not as um, stunning as Junebug's performance. It's just a, a nice piece of music played mostly in the background. Uh, but uh, you kind of explore the bar I think the most important thing that can happen here is you have a conversation on the beach with Conway. Conway sitting there drinking a tiki drink and kind of seeming depressed or or confused. Um, and basically, I, I don't have any like screenshots of this conversation or specific lines to call out. But basically, Conway seems to, seems to feel sort of like adrift, lost in his you know in his uh, path. He knew what he was doing until the end of delivering. Uh, this, you know, this, whatever it is to five dogwood drive. And now he's, now he's got this new thing ahead of him with the hard times liquor people, but he just seems sort of 
lost. Uh, like he doesn't belong here anymore. He doesn't know why he's on this journey anymore. Um, it's kind of a sad moment and sad state to see uh, Conway in. And then you go away from Conway, explore the rest of the area. Um, the most, the funniest and I thought most enjoyable bit for me was going up to the Tiki bar. You can have a conversation with the barkeeper whose name is Patch and uh, he can, he will list off Tiki drinks to you. Uh, so he has a very large tiki menu and you can ask him, Hey, what's good tonight? And he will tell you a drink and you can ask what's in that this is a June bug and uh, he'll tell you what's in it. And there's a, a list Reagan of furiously scribbles some notes. Uh, uh, yeah, but actually, unfortunately, none of these were viable tiki drinks. They were all gross in some way or other. So for example, uh, <laughs> uh, what's good tonight? How disappointing. I know. Uh, what's good tonight? Dark, sweet tiki. What's that like? And patch says, Chill a tall glass with a little lime juice at the bottom. Then just keep pouring in gold rum till it starts to turn iridescent. Add stale jerky, orange curacao, and yellow food coloring. Some folks like sugar. I always include a toothpick. So it has stale jerky in it. Uh, all of the drinks have stale jerky in them. That seems to be this bar's uh, <laughs> trademark. Uh, some of them are even grosser than that one. And they are... Um, it's a long list of drinks and you can stand there and, and until he eventually starts repeating himself. Um, but I enjoyed that and listened to the, uh, the whole musical performance and went around and talked to other folks. There's a, uh, a gathering of people from the Bureau at the bar. Uh, you remember the, the Bureau of uh, Reclaimed Spaces? Yes. They seem to be celebrating something, but no one seems to know what. And also uh, they were expecting a delivery of hard times liquor, but it didn't make it. Uh, presumably, it's the truckload that we saw destroyed in Act One. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and that's Miguel or Manuel or the person who Conway's replacing, I guess, was the driver. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So it's oh, all connected. It's nice that that's all yeah. connected. Um, and so uh, the, the sort of final, I guess, distressing thing about all of this is at some point you get a flashlight or maybe you had one to begin with, I forget, and the, the lights have dimmed. Uh, around the uh, the bar. So you can really only see around the beachy area by flashlight. And you go and look for Conway again when you're getting ready to leave. And um, he's no longer sitting alone and sing sipping his tiki drink. He's sitting at a table with like three other glowing skeletons. And they're drinking hard times whiskey together. Um, you know, end scene, basically. That's no good. So, yeah. So, you know, He's, he was feeling lost. Well, maybe he's finding himself with these creepy skeletal figures, I suppose. Yeah. So next up, you choose between uh, hanging by a phone or hanging with some dogs. <laughs> Shane, you want to tell us about the dogs? So I think I actually picked the phone on this one. Did anyone pick the dogs? No, but I I, I looked and apparently the dogs just do absolutely nothing. <laughs> I, I did this one. I did the dogs. Aww. Yeah, because dogs are good. Um, but I don't actually remember much of anything that happened in this scene. I, I think it was a really short scene. I don't, I, I honestly don't remember it. It was really short on both sides. The, the phone conversations were a series of like fully voiced clips. Uh, and basically people are waiting at a a phone to to make a call. I think Ezra wanted to call his parents. Or Julian. So, he just didn't really know who to call. Yeah, he wants to call somebody. 
Well, there were a lot of phone calls. So, <laughs> uh, Shay, do you want to get started with the first couple? Yeah. So the phone calls are introduced. Uh, I, I kind of forget why they decide to stop to make some phone calls, but I think mainly Ezra has someone to call. Um, and Will wants to check his messages. So Yeah. And so uh, what you're seeing is like there's a line of people uh, wanting to make uh, some calls. And uh, as they answer the phone, you're hearing these different pre-recorded um, messages that sound like they came in over a phone line. And there's some weird ones, but they're honestly hard to even understand as the person is is talking like they, they're they're coming through very uh, garbled. I think some of them uh, like one of them is talking about the smell of an old car. Yeah, I think and just different stuff like that. I think these are recordings from people who called the hotline. It was open. Oh, the I wonder if that's, the, that that's the sense, interlude. Though. Huh. I, I think the interlude, yeah. like if you called it before this, like and you left a message, because you could get like a number that was like, tell me why you're not sleeping or like tell me the memory you told the snake by pressing these numbers. Yeah. And you can leave a recording. So I think those are all voicemails. And that explains why the audio quality is so shitty. But that's what Will is checking these messages. And the cool thing about these messages is like you're making a phone call and then the screen slides over and you see where he's calling. And he's calling to this room that's like empty, but there's an answering machine and a bear in it. There's like a <laughs> bear in the background. And was like it like floor f- floor four or whatever? <laughs> yeah, but like there's just one bear and and then he like you can keep listening to 23 messages. I listened to like 3 cuz they're all weird and I didn't care for it. Huh. You know, I wonder I wonder what happened with this. I don't know why, but I don't remember this scene really at all. So I wonder if somehow I ended up accidentally skipping through it or something. Um Maybe I didn't check my messages. I don't know. Well, well, you would have if you went to if you hung with the dogs, huh. you wouldn't have done this. But there's oh, a lot. Of, I see. Like, okay. So it's not okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So like that's what Will does. But like um, the Kate calls her patient. She's a doula and is like, "Here's the mushrooms you should eat." And like, uh, someone else is calling about like. Someone whose uncle might be dying. Like they're all people mm. are just dealing with their actual life yeah, I definitely life remember stuff. some extremely uh, some at some point an extremely lengthy conversation about the medical qualities of mushrooms. So I think that probably happened somewhere in this scene. But for whatever but reason, that, it didn't. That happened in the mushroom collecting. Oh, maybe. Uh, maybe. Yeah. The, this one is a really hard one to track. Yeah. To be honest. Like it, it felt like what they were doing was they they had all these recordings from their kind of art show. Or from yeah, their or, yeah, hotline, from the... and they were looking for a way to use them. It didn't really feel like it gave you much about the characters. It, it felt like it was there to kind of set a set a scene of like, you know, checking in. Yeah, and what I wanted was like, if Will used to run this like weird I want to believe TV show, I kind of wish those had been the recordings. But mm. there is a cool thing. Um, so I think last episode I said that I thought I had lost Carrington forever. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And the first time I played, I, I played four when I was really sick. So I was replaying the beginning of four today and I had picked the dog the first time and this time I chose the phone. Um, at the end of everyone calling, uh, I don't know if this happened for you, Shane, the phone rings and you pick it up. Yeah. And it's for me, it was Carrington talking about like, I need some stuff for my performance um, can you help me figure out how to simulate moonlight in the mines? 
and I answered the question. So I, I don't know what happened. I for don't you. remember that, but part of that, part of this is that this is a very dreamy portion of the game. Part of this is I think I played this. I played this portion of the game at like two o'clock in the morning. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I myself uh, was in a very dreamy state. The thing that I remember most about this scene that we haven't mentioned is that like partway into it, Conway, who um, has been like waiting for the phone, uh, decides he wants to go back to the boat uh, to do some more drinking. And he jumps into the water <laughs> and swims. Oh, right. He just jumps and swims away. He just, yeah, he just jumps into the water and starts swimming. Uh, and that that was the part of the scene that made an impression on me. Um, the rest of it, not so much. That's interesting. And everyone has options to be like, I'm worried about that man, or like, that man is super an alcoholic, or I have no idea why that guy got in the water. <laughs> he gonna drown. It's a, it's a weird sort of middle scene. The, the next bit I thought was a little more interesting, although, a, again, we have a choice between getting off the boat and something I think fairly interesting, at least sounding, happen uh, happens, and a scene that happens entirely on the boat that maybe isn't as interesting. I feel like there's a bit of a an imbalance with this couple of middle acts. Um, so the, the next big choice has to do with stopping at the Radovansky Center uh, or staying on the boat to play cards. Um, and at this point, I felt like I hadn't seen enough of Ezra lately, so I chose to, to stay with Ezra on the boat. I also at the time was feeling like, man, maybe I'll get a chance to see those VHS tapes. I did not. Mm. Um, staying on the boat with Ezra meant that uh, Ezra is teaching a card game to Will, Kate, and Clara, uh, so the side characters, essentially. And uh, they are uh, playing a game with really complicated rules. It's a bit of a sort of Calvin Ball-sounding version of a card game, uh, which Ezra calls the remembering game. Reagan, you were really into The Witcher. You would recognize Gwent, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Gwent was, in fact, Calvin Ball. That was a boring and not not good part of The Witcher. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you play The Witcher 3, I highly recommend doing that, but I also highly recommend skipping Gwent. Um, but yeah, th- it, there's more, more talk about mushrooms and uh, conversations about things that are happening off the boat. Um, but again, not a huge impression left on me by this section. Um, I wonder what happened at the Radovansky Center or Radvansky Center. Oh man, so dude. much. Radvansky Center ruled. ruled. This I'm was my sorry. favorite part. <laughs> oh, dude, it was so cool. Okay. You, you really should go play this section. <laughs> so, Damn it! Yeah, if you play this, just pick the pick the Radvansky Center. Honestly, like uh, it, it felt I, very I, much. This like is the lost. one to kind of play twice. I'm really great. glad to have sorry, the different perspectives Reagan. here because. I mean, I I was by the time I had picked to stay on the boat a couple of times, I I was actually feeling kind of, you know, I was getting a little cabin fever. I was like, how many more conversations about the boat can I have? <laughs> uh, so I'm glad at that point that I was off. Uh, and in the Radvansky Center, um, first off, you get a very different and weird perspective shift. It's a change not only in like the perspective you're seeing things from, uh, but what you're what you're actually you. you you're playing as uh, two people who at a later time are watching the security footage of uh, the main characters. uh, And there's two people named Mimi and Jen who are having a conversation off screen about basically watching back through the tapes of people going through the experiments at the Radvansky Center and kind of looking back and talking about their, their boss, uh, Daryl, 
uh, and, and how watching, much he sucks. <laughs> and how much Daryl sucks. And and they're um they're watching Shannon and I think it's just Shannon. Just it? Shannon. The rest are kind of waiting by the gate. Yeah. Shannon, uh, who goes to the Radvansky Center where she knows she can make a little quick cash by participating in this study. So at some point in the future, they are reviewing the tapes of her doing so. So she starts off by filling out a questionnaire and you're controlling Shannon, but everything you're hearing, uh, there's no audio in the tapes. So everything you're hearing is Jen and Mimi talking about what they're seeing. And they- Oh, the text. It's yeah. not um, voiceover. Yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. that's true. So Mimi actually recognizes the name uh, Marquez uh, and mentions uh, WEVP and mentions also that it's owned by the Consolidated Power Company. And she talks about, well, you know, I knew somebody who worked there that was that was weird. Uh, and at first you kind of think, oh, is she talking? Maybe she knows Shannon. No, she knew Weaver uh, when she worked at WEVP. Um, and she says that Weaver kind of just stopped showing up to work uh, and and was had some kind of strange end to her tenure there. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the details on this? Yeah. So I'll talk about the testing in a minute, but just to follow the Weaver line, she it, Weaver stopped showing up, which apparently was super common because it's community access TV. But what was weird was that after Weaver left, like they they had this signal jamming where Weaver would take over the community access feed with just shots of her staring in the camera with like a weird hum in the background and like captions that were really bizarre and in a strange font that she was like, they're not the captions that our graphics department put together. So who knows who's doing that? But like the idea that she kept signal jacking the community access feed for months afterward. Um, And then they were like, well, you know, that kept going until the flood. We were like, and they're like, yeah. Do go on. And, and then she was like, that's why we're here. Ha ha. And then they just drop it. Um, uh, I, 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 it's a ooh. bit of a preview, but the uh, the um, uh, the next uh, interlude deals heavily with that, with Weaver's signal jacking of uh, WEVP. So um, interesting. But what I really liked about the Red Fancy Center, which, by the way, is named after the guy who figured out that when you walk through a door, you forget stuff. That that was a recent study at the t- I, I think that was from 2012, 2011. That would have been about a year a before they began working on this act. Yeah. Um, but so the idea is that she's doing memory tests where she is hanging out around a room and then she takes the quiz and then they have her change rooms and then ask her more questions and like they ask her to recall a memory and then read books and then say if lines in the book helped her remember more about her memory. Um, just like stuff like that. One one of the things about the way that they're doing the experiments that she's going through is, I mean, it's clear uh, that it's a very flawed experiment and Mimi and what was the other name? Uh, Jen. Mimi and Jen are commenting on the fact that like the experiment has all these big flaws and they're trying to kind of that they fix later out. <laughs> it's yeah, the, tape, they're trying yeah. to figure out how to how to fix the data after they after they collect it. So like, for example, uh, you know, there's a thing where she's asked to uh, not look uh, not look up. Uh, but what were the what were the fruit that are on the wall behind you? And they're like, oh, you know, on, on, in paintings on the wall behind you. Uh, and she, 
you know, she's like, well, she got three of them right. She said like apple, uh, banana, and guava. And they're like, oh, that's a pear. What does a guava look like? Is it kind of, yeah, it kind of looks like a pear. I guess we'll count that. Yeah, and they're like, oh, but these are bad watercolor paintings because Daryl wanted to paint instead of put photographs oh, yeah. on the wall. And so they're ambiguous Yeah, so instead now. of photos, we used Daryl's bad watercolors. <laughs> so yeah, you can't really tell it's a pear anyway. Um, and then- um, Well, there's also coding like, She'll say something and they'll code her. They're like immigrant. And they're like, no, we don't say that. Any- like, that's not that's a new word we use for coding. We use precarious before. <laughs> like, hmm. Oh, um, but they occasionally they'll flip back to like the docks and you'll see Conway on the docks talking to the hard times people or you'll hmm. they'll flip to the waiting room and Will is sleeping. But it's kind of like everyone is different cameras. Yeah. Yeah. The different cameras are just like watching the other people in the group and but the idea is that eventually maybe after they finish Shannon's, they'll process everybody else's <laughs> tapes, but um, you just play as Shannon's. And it's really like, it, it's super interesting because especially in one where sh- uh, Shannon is remembering, uh, you can choose to remember a memory of Weaver <laughs> and Shannon is remembering a memory of Weaver while Mimi and Jen are talking about Weaver's tapes. So they do a really cool, like intercut dialogue. I really really dug this. And of course, it's like basically memory and forgetfulness, the center. Um, kind of surprised this one isn't required. Yeah. I'm kind of bummed I miss it now. It yeah. sounds really interesting. Um, we, we we check in with uh, Conway again. Also, Conway is mm-hmm. waiting by the dock uh, for, for Shannon to finish. And, uh, you know, at first when you cut to him, he's just sort of waiting around and they comment on like, well, I guess he's just waiting there. And then when they cut back to that camera again, um, some of the people from Hard Times have showed up as well. And then I think by the time you cut back, all yeah, of them Ezra are gone. runs over, and the Hard Times people are gone. So it like almost feels like a yeah, like a blip that those people were there. Hmm. There was also a kind of neat moment I, I forgot earlier uh, talking about the the uh, the testing, uh, which is some of these are genuine like memory tests for the player. Um, and there's a moment where I thought they used the UI a little kind of interestingly. Uh, they're asking Shannon to remember something, uh, but the player would be able to look over Shannon's shoulder and see it. I think it's the same fruit paintings. Uh, or the bookshelf um, in the, the previous room. They, the bookshelf, yeah. But they cover it with the dialogue box. So the player who's like, you know, the, the same dialogue kind of interface that's been appearing throughout the whole scene uh, suddenly appears and it is the blind that is like making you uh, that is kind of covering the thing that you're trying to remember, hmm. which was kind of so they they force you, the player, to remember what was on the wall as well. So I thought that was oh, kind of two neat. more fun things. One is plot related. Uh, it turns out that uh, one of the curls dated Charlie, who was Lisette's son who died. Oh, She's like, I had a boyfriend in college who died suddenly and it really messed me up. And then she says his name was Charlie. And earlier in the. Oh, uh, yeah. And then the other fun thing is there's a part where like Shannon is petting a cat and they're like, oh, look, like coconut, the cat's here. And then Shannon goes and like does something and feeds the cat. And they're like, I don't remember this part of the experiment. And the girl's like, oh, yeah, um, I write on official university letterhead to feed the cat sometimes when I'm out of town. (laughs) And they just think it's, oh, yeah. and she thinks she it's has, part of the experiment. They're following the instructions from the experiment. So I love that. The cat. It's just, just, I just tell them to feed the cat. 
That's pretty good. It's great. And uh, and the cat leaves with the group, so she might show up on the, the boat at some point. Mm. So before we move on to the next pair of scenes that we choose from, I thought maybe we could take a second and talk about some of the kinds of stuff that you see along the way in between. Because we didn't really mention that it, the travel in this is represented in a very similar way to the way we saw the, uh, the Zero when we were doing our drive in the sort of... Um, you know, uh, uh, circular highway that is the zero. Only here we see a kind of a wireframe of the mammoth, the boat, uh, traveling along the sort of twists and turns of the Echo River. And as we kind of go between these larger, fully, you know, fully uh, realized scenes, there's these sort of text scenes that happen in between. Um, And they are usually just sort of a little bit of, you know, you notice X or Y along the edge of the uh, of the river and you see, you know, something about it or something. But some of them are pretty, pretty interesting. Um, I was I I wished I had a a screenshot of it, but there was a fairly extensive one uh, about uh, two women who bought houses next to each other. They were, I think, twins or something like that. And then they resented each other and the houses have fallen into ruin. And I don't remember the details now, but at the time it seemed like a pretty, pretty interesting moment. Um, Hey, cool story, bro. Uh, Any of you guys have anything you wanted to say about the sort of travel parts? Uh, I liked the gallery that you can pass by that tells you about, like you can choose what's in the photographs. Um, and it turns out that the gallery was of photographs from the town that got bulldozed for the museum. Oh, right. That was cool. Yeah. I like that they were talking about the, the, the weather down there. Someone was, as they passed the gallery, I think they're talking about, uh, one of the crew of the boat mentioned, you know, they're pretty foolish to set up that gallery here. People think that you're out of the weather when you're down here, but there's a whole microclimate. And uh, the idea that there's kind of rainstorms and things in this cave is kind of mysterious. <laughs> yeah, it really sort of feels like not only is everything shifting down here, but everything is falling apart. And uh, yeah, it's it has a certain like like unsettling feeling to it about it. You know, it's very much like uh, everybody is living on tiny boats with no, you know, where would they go if they needed to suddenly get off of these boats? You know, everything is shifting and there's, there's seems to be no clear way in and out. Um, it's, it's kind of scary in a way. Uh, it, it, actually, we didn't really talk about it, but the very first scene in the, uh, in the gas station, uh, one of the people in the gas station is a man who kind of tells this story of, of coming down to the echo uh, when he first got there uh, and being adrift and uh, losing his lantern and having no light. The echo is totally dark if you don't have a lantern, uh, and he nearly died. and And his story was about how he uh, he had some rotting apples that he was eating, and and out of one of the apples came uh, came a bug, and it turned out it was a light a lightning bug, and he was able to save himself by using the light from the lightning bug to find his way home or whatever. And uh, but it's sort of a sort of a, a haunting way to set the scene. There is something kind of scary about the echo. It's this really unsettling, shifting, kind of scary, dark place full of, uh, you know, decay in a way, but people seem to be living their lives there. So the next big chunk is the, the pair of scenes where either we go mushroom hunting, hunting with Kate, Ezra does, uh, or, um, or you can take a nap. Uh, did anybody go for the nap? I napped. 
<laughs> what happens if you nap? Uh, I don't remember because I fell asleep. That is a perfect answer. What happens if you go mushroom hunting uh, is actually a really neat scene that kind of remind you mentioned that they, they were doing a kind of a, you know, two bits of, of thing, two things. Split pain. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Split, split pain. Uh, the, the scene at the mushroom hunting grove is uh, basically that uh, Ezra is remembering details from his uh, family life, you know, things about his father, who sounds like he's not a great guy, uh, and and other sort of family stuff. Meanwhile, Kate is explaining about um, mushroom hunting and remembering uh, a time where she was uh, at a hospital and uh, – I, I don't have much to say about it other than that. I thought it was a creative use of their dialogue system. You could play through both pieces of dialogue simultaneously and they had sort of echoes of each other that kind of matched. So at certain points, if you were playing through these two, uh, two separate sort of uh, dialogue streams, they were, there would be things in one that echoed the other a little bit. Um, but um, it was just, you know, it was a nice. I think the thing that I remembered most about it was uh, when she explains the rules of mushroom hunting. Uh, the first rule, the second rule is have fun. The first rule is ask Kate before you eat anything. Yes, very important for all you Phantom Thread fans. <laughs> yes, I, 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 I see you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's like I got one. <laughs> But then uh, you head to the Echo River Central Exchange. Or you make some mushroom stew and then you go to the Central Exchange, which is what I did. Um. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely didn't make the stew. My my first priority was, oh, we get to go out into the bat sanctuary. That is exciting. Uh, th- there is a bat sanctuary down here. And I loved the- Where the um, old man's going to take his person on a date. Right? <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Have you guys ever been to a bat sanctuary? No. Like a cave? I have. I've been to a couple, actually. I live in a bat sanctuary. <laughs> and uh, they make some commentary in this about how, like, well, you know, you wouldn't think you'd need a bat sanctuary down here because it's all caves. But there's specific things that you need to, you know, that bats need. And and uh, this is set up, you know, to be specifically for bats. And there's all these signs that you have to pass by on your way in that are about making sure that you don't bring the white nose syndrome down here. If you haven't heard about white nose, uh, then obviously you aren't up on it yeah, kills bats on, on the bat lore. Uh, it's a it's been a bad time for bats over the last I think decade or so. Uh, there's been a a plague going around with bats. Uh, as we're recording, we're all worried about our white nose syndromes ourselves, uh, and uh, it gives you a lot of warnings about, for example, like you know don't uh, don't touch anything and uh, you know don't carry anything in with you and so on uh, to help prevent infecting the poor bats with white nose syndrome. Um, but uh, it's also where we see, I think, maybe the most, at least for me, the most striking image in the game, which is the sort of floating memorial to the miners. Uh, down in the near the Bat Sanctuary, there is a, a place where there's just a huge cluster of empty helmets, mining helmets, sort of floating. You'd think they would have floated away, but that's just not how these things work. They're all sort of floating around this sort of set of beams and there's a plaque there. Um, and I, I grabbed uh, a screenshot of the plaque because I thought this was some of the best writing in the game. Uh, the sign says, I'm not sure if this is the whole sign. It's just what I have screenshotted, but it says we claim these helmets in the names of the folks who wore them and we place them here in their memory 
but also as a spit in the greedy green eye of that power company who bought up our old mine and traded our brothers and sisters' safety for a little more yield, but only yielded 28 good men and women dead when the walls collapsed and the tunnels filled with water. Um, it's, it's a really bitter memorial. And I love that. You don't see that. You don't really see that in, in real memorials, but the, the, the sting of it clearly hadn't left whoever was engraving this spit in the eye of that power company. Um, just a really kind of a haunting thing in the middle of this and kind of reminds you like, Oh, right. You know, this was a thing that we were dealing with in act one and act two. And, uh, it's, it's, um, it's the past, but it's a it's still a fresh wound here in this in this place. And the fact that it like this was this is their kind of embittered response kind of speaks to the helpless helplessness that the the poor in this place feel mm-hmm. um, in the face of these the big big companies. Mm-hmm. Nothing they could do but put a they you know, they say they they claim these helmets. You know the this is. Uh, this memorial is also an act of theft, right? Because everything, even the helmets of these 28 dead belong to the power company, right? I love it. I, I, I love this. I love this moment, but um, I'm not sure I have much to say about it other than that. It's like, it was a, it was a bit of a slap, a reminder that like, right, there's some really dark stuff here. Yeah. I mean, well, you get the miners and then it, you like immediately see Conway waving at his skeleton buddies and being like, I yeah. think I'm getting to be okay with this. And after you've just had this like fierce, passionate um, slap in the face, like against the man from the, from like no one, from just the sculpture, from just the shrine to then have Conway giving up feels even worse. Um, yeah. It's a really clever juxtaposition. Um, clever isn't doing its service. It was a very moving juxtaposition. It's also kind of a reminder that we're losing Conway, you know? Um, it, little by little, uh, Shannon is is losing him to hard times. Um, and it, this scene really brings that into focus. Um, so we get through the Bat Sanctuary, past the uh, the very moving memorial, and into the Echo River Central Exchange, and it's a uh, uh, it's another example of like what happens when corporations neglect the things that they own, the people that you know. Corporations are made up of people, but uh, but they very often don't particularly care very much about some of the people that make them up, right? And this exchange was once a flourishing workplace and a center of communications for this place. And uh, and as the company has changed, it has uh, tried to automate and uh, things have sort of decayed. So uh, uh, trying to remember the exact details here, but like it's an exchange in that it's like a telephone exchange. There's a, there's a telephone switchboard um, and it's been partly automated, but there is one person there still working it. Uh, and uh, she's there presumably to like keep things working, but training the AI that's replacing her or training the the machine that's replacing her. Right. Um, and it, that scene was like, obviously it's a little over the top, but it's uh, it's sort of a great, uh, a great encapsulation of like a company might buy something that for someone 
you know, the person that works at a, at a business that a company, that a very large company buys, that, that smaller business that's just been bought is their whole work, working life, maybe their whole career, maybe their whole world. And a company that is much larger can swallow it up, maybe as a part of, a, in this case, a, uh, an acquisition that wasn't even related. It just came along with something else. And the power company owned this, didn't care about it, and tried to I- ignore it, uh, automate it, uh, and otherwise neglect it. And it's ruined some people's lives. And the people who are still sort of hanging on in there essentially have the feeling of being sort of ghosts. Uh, the, the person who's a, uh, formerly a, uh, an, a, like a telephone operator, uh, now doesn't even speak to the people that she's connecting. And she sort of feels like she's being, uh, like she's like, she's just a ghost that's left behind or something like that. And I thought it was like a really, um, uh, like a good example of another, you know, the, the the game doing a great job of showing a sort of heightened, um, surreal example of the sorts of things that are just capitalism doing what it does and causing harm that is sort of part of baked into the system. Um, and I thought it was very interesting. And again, with the Conway exposition, then you realize he's like three dudes in a dinghy go by and Conway is gone. Yeah, Almost this is where we just quietly gone. Mm-hmm. There's no goodbye seed. He's just gone to go work. It's a very distressing way to lose what was once the main player character. Yeah, it's funny because it feels like in any other game, you know, we would see him again, right? He'd be back in the next scene. He'd be back in the next act. Uh, I, I, you know, at the time of this recording, I haven't played Act Five yet. We've been kind of I've been trying to to, to kind of go through this not playing too far ahead of what we're talking about. But um, I believe this is really it for Conway. Like, I think it's really like he's just gone. We've lost him to the to the machine, right? It feels and like it. And it's very melancholy. Uh, it's very interesting. So you um, can cheer up with the claw machine game. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. There's, that's probably the most interesting thing in this like kind of dreamy pull apart chapter is that he just drifts off basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's some more things that happen here. There's a really interesting scene that happens at a, uh, at a, a restaurant and you can kind of, even though it's not really spoken about, you get the sense that Shannon is, is kind of hurting having lost her traveling companion during all of that. There's some really clever and interesting dialogue there, but I think the most important thing that happens at Sam and Ida's, the, the restaurant is just, the moment at the end of that scene when uh, when Shannon wanders downstairs uh, alone to sort of look out at the water and updrifts the uh, the you know the bed quilt ramblers the, uh, the the band that we've seen come through and play folk music periodically throughout the game and they're playing this world is not my home this world is not my home I'm just Treasures and my hopes are placed beyond the blue. Many friends and kin have gone on before, and I can heal at home in this world. 
and it is so poignant thinking back to um, to Conway's scene on the beach at the rum colony where he was essentially saying I don't even know what what I'm doing here anymore this doesn't feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be and then he's gone and here are the bed quilt ramblers singing you know this world is not my home I'm just passing through um, it's a travel song but it's also a song about loss and, uh, and about um, feeling uh, missing people who've kind of gone on before you you know meet people who've gone on to heaven or wherever they go wherever the the strangers take them right um, it, it, this was a really poignant moment for me in the game sort of losing Conway in this quiet sad way and then seeing Shannon just sort of staring out at the water and listening to this very moving piece of music it was just it was a really uh, poignant moment and I don't expect to stop until I shake her hand she's waiting So I was doing a little research on this episode and we've talked about Conway leaving and I know that at the end uh, Blue or Homer or whatever you name the dog can sit and just kind of not come with everybody at the end. Um, that kind talking about up the stairs? Yeah. Oh, or, I didn't realize that was huh. Uh, apparently you can also kind of apparently you can maybe take the dog with you but it feels very like that statue of the dog waiting for the owner forever. Oh, um, uh, in Tokyo. What is it? Yeah, uh, Hayachi or something like that. I'm yeah. probably misremembering. Also his made name. famous by Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> very, very sad. That's yeah. That that final image of them climbing the stairs, like realizing that they they can't bring the truck along any further. It really feels like things are coming to a head at the very end here because you know having to abandon the truck which has been sort of the the core of the, you know, how they've been getting from place to place through this entire four-act story. You know, they're going to have to literally unpack it and and carry the delivery. We still don't know what it is up this horrible-looking uh, spiral staircase to get out of the river. Um, I don't know. It's a really interesting image, and I, I really can't wait to play Act 5. I just, I, I've been holding off because I wanted to kind of play through it as we as we progress through, uh, you know, our process of this, of this recording together, but it, it definitely made me want to immediately boot up act five and sort of see how this whole thing lands. Yeah. Oh, clarification. I think either way you can't get blue to go with you, but there is like, you can get him to go like halfway through and he'll eventually stop like, but blue just definitely oh. doesn't keep going. I think I didn't. That makes the whole thing even sadder because I think I didn't even kind of kind of realize that when I got to that point. I don't know. Weird. Yeah, like Dang. you can Dang. get the dog partway out, but the dog will never come with you. And of course, that's what got me because I care about dogs more than people. <laughs> well, we're all psychopaths in our own weird ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
anyway, final thoughts on this act. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a little bit weaker than the last one. Um, but it's, and I thought it was a little bit over long. We talked about some of those middle scenes that maybe were a bit, you know, uh, they were, they were, they were their own thing, but overall it has some really, really poignant moments, particularly towards the end. And I, um, I just, I can't wait to see where things are going. For me, each individual piece of this act is really effective, but it has that sort of grab bag quality. Yeah. Um, like it, it's it's strange to have this be the thing that people waited so long for uh, and to come back to it and have it be such a um, like a sampler platter of different kind of however, like it is really all kind of one theme like in a lot of the previous acts i've been able to say okay well there's this theme and this theme and this theme in this one it really feels like the key thing is this is about in a game that's been about things ending this is about remembering the past there is a lot of imagery of the river sticks oh yeah um and i think even one of the like the island you mushroom pick like looks like a a, a painting uh, again from the exhibit like looks like a painting that's like the isle of death or the isle of dreams it's like something that's supposed to be like an island in the river sticks so like they keep making mm. references to like the underworld and the passage which makes sense because as you progress down the river sticks you're supposed to forget your real life so i feel like they had that image and they have a lot of that meandering Odyssey quality of like going here. Now kind of it's kind of like a hangout TV show where you're like, and now I'm going here, and I'm going here, and you're making progress, but it's getting further and further from the main point. So mm-hmm. I, it's intentional, and I think it's well done. It's just not what I expected, and it's a really interesting part four because it feels like a part three. <laughs> Yeah, I, I see what you mean about that. Yeah, I, I do feel like it kind of it doesn't hang together quite as well as some of the other acts, but it's also longer by a non insignificant amount. Like, I think this was I think this is the longest act. Um, three might have been close, but like this one was definitely took me the longest to play. Um, I think this one took I did it across three sessions, uh, which uh, none of the others was more than like sitting down to play twice. And it's it's also uh, the only one where there's a huge amount of content that I didn't see and would need to go back through a second time to experience. So, um, you know, it makes a little bit of sense why it took so long for this particular act to come out. It's just got a lot more going on uh, than some of the others. Um, but yeah, uh, we're we're rolling on towards Act 5. Uh, dear listeners, we're probably not going to be doing Act 5 as our very next episode. We don't want to do a full month straight of Kentucky Route Zero, so we're going to try to mix things up. But we'll be coming back to talk with a similar kind a conversation to this about Act 5 with a little bit of wrap-up uh, at some point within the next few episodes. Uh, if you have thoughts about Kentucky Route Zero, if you have, want to share your thoughts about Act 5 uh, and what you think of the whole thing as a whole, uh, now would be a great time to send us that stuff. Uh, you can either email us, that's info at theshortgame.net or you can go to our website, www.theshortgame.net. We have a contact form there. Uh, we're on Twitter, at underscore shortgame. Uh, or, of course, you can find me on the internet. I'm Reagan K, at Reagan K rather, on Twitter. Uh, and uh, Shane, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at 8BitShane. And Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And of course, I didn't mention the last way that you can get in touch with us is via Discord. 
All of our patrons on Patreon get access to our Discord, where we talk about the games that we're playing as we're playing them. It's where the conversations that happen on this show start. Uh, so if you want to talk to us about Kentucky Route Zero there, uh, just go to patreon.com slash the short game and support us at any level and you'll get an automatic invite to our Discord. Uh, and uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game, and we'll be back soon with another episode.